Well, hey, everybody, so good to see you once again as we get rolling with a brand new series, a short series, three weeks, What If the Church? And we've imagined, that's our theme over these two years, we have an imagination. That means a vision of what God could do, a brand new destination. And we began to imagine about what it would be like for the churches of our city to come together, overcoming that turf protection and the competition, and really begin moving together in a spirit of cooperation. There's so many things that divide churches, so many things that divide even people within a church. It's the NBA playoffs right now. Some of us might think this guy, LeBron, is the best player in the history of the NBA. While others of us here are convinced, Michael Jordan, you're my people. Yes, I'm glad to know we are well represented in our church. You know, of course, we know in this part of the world, this divides people. Some of us are Mizzou. Don't cheer too loud, because some of us are, wow, who thought in a Missouri church? Awesomeness. Now, I just want to apologize up front, seriously. If I have ever been an annoying or obnoxious Kansas fan. I do hereby apologize. Are you happy now? Hey, I've grown. I really have. I've grown in the time you've known me. Not that much. Some of us are dog people. Some of us are cat people. Dog people, you're my people. Cat people, You're not my people. (laughs) You see, we get used to saying that, kind of, you know, my people, those people, right? That's what we do in church life a lot. And unfortunately, uh, what may come naturally is not how you advance the kingdom in the city. We have to somehow work against that type of competition and division. And we want to come together in a spirit of cooperation. And so this is what we're doing as a church. We're part of a movement of churches now called What If the Church, about 50 or 60 churches of like faith in our city moving together in unity to reach our city. And that's what we're doing over the next three weeks specifically. What if the church promoted cooperation instead of division and competition? Because the reality is there's so much turf protection and competition within our city when it comes to churches like you and me. And so we're convinced, quite frankly, that the The church will not reach our city until churches begin moving in unity. It's not enough simply to see what we're doing and have this inward focus on our body and family at Abundant Life. If we really want to reach a city, it doesn't matter how large a church becomes, you cannot do it solo. You've got to move with others. Now, i got to tell you, this doesn't come naturally to me. I'm a very, very competitive person. I mean, I'm super competitive. That's why I loved playing football back in the day. I did. You know why? Because every single play, it was one-on-one, right? Mano a mano. And every single play, you're going against one guy in front of you, and the goal is to win that play. Uh, beat the guy in front of you, whatever it takes. I remember years ago when Glenn Mason came into Kansas, he was trying to turn a program that was used to losing into a program used to winning. And there was this drill that he would do. Three guys, full pads, one football. He'd throw the football behind him. And the goal was to get to the football. Now the goal was to get it in whatever means necessary. You couldn't bite, kick, or gouge eyes. Other than that, all rules and all bets were off. And I can still hear his words in my mind's eye today. Find a way to win. Find a way to win. Find a way to win. 
And that's kind of the, the way I've lived my life. Find a way to win. It doesn't matter what it is. And so, you know, if it was football, beat the guy in front of me. If it was, uh, you know, back in my cop days, uh, it, it filled that need to compete because, you know, I was competing against the bad guys. I love catching the bad guys. I love catching them at their own game. And, you know, I kind of had a fix from there. And then God called me to ministry. Guess what? I found another place to compete. I want to win. Find a way to win. But I realized in the early days of my ministry, 18 years ago, God began to convict me. I mean, really, really badly. There were two other churches in town that were starting at the same time as our church, and we were building at the same time, and I realized deep down, I wanted to beat them. I, you know, the Bible says, confess your faults one to I'm just confessing it, okay? Don't judge me. And God began to convict me, I mean deeply, deeply convicted of my desire for competition, my desire for reputation, and, uh, and, and I'm just that kind of a person, quite frankly, it doesn't matter what it is, I naturally want to compete, I want to win, whatever it takes, doesn't matter what. I remember having some long, quiet ro- rides home with my wife on a number of occasions in our marriage after visiting friends and playing cards that night. <laughs> the long, quiet ride home after a card game. (laughs) That's just me, I wanna compete. And so God began to really burden my heart and break my heart and I realized, you know what, my my competition meter is up way too high and I think sometimes that happens in church life. Now when I talk about moving together with churches of like faith, we don't just wanna champion our church. I wanna champion the church. This is the work God has done in my life over the last 18 years. I don't just wanna be concerned with our church, I am concerned with the church. And we wanna be a church that champions other churches and doesn't compete with other churches. Now when I say churches of like faith, what does that look like? I'll tell you what it means for me personally. There are essentials of the faith and there are non-essentials of the faith. What does that mean? A church of like faith, it doesn't mean they have to agree specifically, theologically, with every single thing I believe personally. What are the essentials of the faith? On essentials, we have unity. On non-essentials, we've gotta give each other liberty. What are the essentials? I'm talking about the historic doctrines, the tenets of the historic Christian faith. I'm talking about biblical inerrancy, Christ's supremacy, the blood atonement of Calvary, that he was resurrected bodily, that Jesus really is deity, the second person of the Trinity, and one day he's coming back to rule and reign eternally. It doesn't matter whatever else you might believe, you are not my enemy. See, that's the fundamentals of the faith. That's things that all Christians have to agree on. Those are things we all agree on or you're not a Christian. Now here's the reality, if churches or others don't agree with those things, we can be friends, but it doesn't mean I'm gonna work with them or worship with them because we're just going two different directions. We're trying to do two different things, that makes sense? But the reality is if we're gonna move with other churches, we have to decide it's okay that they don't agree perfectly and dot every I like me and cross every T like we, it's okay. We come together on what we agree on. We don't divide over those things we don't agree on. And these are things that God began to do in my life because in the early days, uh, you know, the, 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 the radar was a little too high for what is a church of like faith? Are they like us? Like, you know, you're driving down the road and I remember my you know, little bitty kids would be in the car and now they're bigger kids like grown, and uh, so they'd be you know, little kids, and we'd drive by a church. Daddy, is that a good church? No. <laughs> you drive a little farther, another church. Daddy, is that a good church? No. You drive a little farther. Daddy, is that a good church? Mm-mm. Well, why not? 
because they're not us. I wouldn't actually say that. I wouldn't actually say that. I wouldn't dream of saying that. But deep down, I was thinking that. And God had to begin to convict me of this wickedness. That's what it is. It's wicked. It's sin. The spirit of competition and turf protection that goes on within churches. And sometimes, quite frankly, our intruder alert is just a little too high, like a Presbyterian. A Lutheran. So a few years ago, my house got broke into, and when it got broke into, I got you know 24-7 alarm system monitored. I got a video surveillance system. Now, the video surveillance system works phenomenally. The problem is its sensitivity is just a little too high. See if you can spot the intruder in this video. <laughs> yeah, so this time of year, my email gets flooded with these videos of these intruders. Yeah, the, the sensitivity level is just like off the chart. It's not meant to catch that guy. It's meant to catch another guy. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes our intruder alert in church is just a little too sensitive. Like, you know, he's a Calvinist. Or he's, a, he's an all-millennial. Now, if you don't know what those terms mean, that's okay. We'll talk about them later. I'm talking about theological systems. Now, here's the deal. A lot of churches have just quit teaching doctrine. We're not going to do that here. It's important that you learn the deeper truths, the deeper doctrinal tenets of the faith. And so for that reason, we're just not going to not teach doctrine. In fact, I'm teaching through the book of Revelation this year. Who does that today? I'm teaching through the book of Leviticus next year. Who does that? <laughs> it's going to be awesome. You just wait. Here's the point. I want you to learn the doctrines of the faith, and we're going to learn the deeper things of the biblical faith. If, if you want to learn the Word of God, you can't grow in your walk with God if you're not growing deeper in the Word of God. But here's the deal. We have to learn what are the essentials and non-essentials. Like, you guys know, if you've been around a long time, I am pre-tribulational in, in a world with a lot of post-tribulationists and mid-tribulationists. You don't know what that means? It doesn't matter right now. I'm just telling you, I'm going to give you five biblical reasons why I'm still pre-tribulational. I am pre-millennial instead of being all millennial. Now here's the deal. If you don't know what that means, it doesn't matter yet. I'm just going to tell you, we're going to teach the Bible. We're going to learn the biblical doctrines of the faith that others don't want to talk about and don't want to teach. Here's the reality. I am not a five-point Calvinist. I don't mind telling you. I'll give you all the biblical reasons why, but I'm not an Armenian either. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. That's okay, keep coming, we'll learn a little bit of that. What I'm trying to say is that it's time to stop imposing our theological systems on the Bible and simply study the Bible. Because there's another position besides all these theological suppositions and presuppositions and theological systems, the Bible. And I'm preaching another message than the one I intended to today, so <laughs> I better get back to what I was doing. Here's the point though. It, just because somebody doesn't agree perfectly with me, as long as they agree on the things on which we have to agree, we can walk in unity. 
And for that reason, uh, I remember years ago, this quote by A.W. Tozier. Now, you may not have heard of A.W. Tozier. He was a guy from the uh, early and mid-20th century, authored a lot of books, and I would study him, and he kind of, in some way, uh, was uh, one that I would read a lot in the early days, because what he wrote always had some depth and some breadth to it, and this thing just cut me to the quick in the early days. No man is qualified for success in the ministry until he is willing, if God so chooses, to give that success to another. And I read that and it cut me to the quick because I knew deep down that I wanted to compete with other churches in our city. And I knew deep down that was doing the right things for the wrong reasons and because I'm a competitive and and prideful person. And and God used that quote and I've never forgotten it. He began to shape and form that in me and I began to pray, God, make me that kind of a person, whatever it takes. God, I wanna see a move of God so desperately. I wanna see God move in this city so badly that if God doesn't do it here, God do it somewhere. God do it anywhere, if not here, somewhere. God, I wanna see a move. What if we began as a church to pray for a move of God so desperately that we don't care if God doesn't hear, as long as God moves somewhere, how bad do you wanna see revival in your city? And those are things that God began to deal in my heart many, many years ago. And so I know how I began to overcome this in my life, honestly, is I would pray and I would repent and I would pray and I'd repent. God, break my heart. Forgive me for for my egotism. Forgive me of wanting a reputation. Forgive me, God, that I would be in competition with other churches of like faith. And here's how I began to overcome it. I began to befriend other pastors. See, it's impossible to compete with somebody when you befriend them and you pray with them, now all that's left is to cheer for them. And so we cheer for each other. A few weeks ago, I was at a breakfast meeting with these guys right here. And this is who we're moving in cooperation with, with this movement of What If the Church. So 10 years ago, uh, this church in Lenexa, Kansas called Westside Family Church. Uh, they began to invite other churches in their area to move with them and to pray with them and begin to move together with them. Well, they asked us this year to come in. We're going to. So let me tell you who these guys are. This is Greg Ely, dear friend of mine. He used to pastor Paseo Baptist Church. He now is the campus pastor at Colonial Presbyterian, their Warnell Road campus. And his friendship has meant so much to me over the years. The conversations we've had, especially as it relates to race relations and racial reconciliation, dear, dear brother in Christ. This guy here is Jim West. He's the lead pastor of Colonial Presbyterian. Randy Frazee is the new pastor over at Westside Family Church. He just came from San Antonio, where he co-pastored actually for 10 years with Max Lucadio, a guy a lot of you have probably read uh, and probably heard of. So here's what we're going to do over the next two weeks. Next week, I'm going to go preach at Colonial Presbyterian. Jim West is going to come preach here. And then the week after that, I'm going to go preach at Westside, and Randy Frazee is going to come preach here. Now, I got to tell you, I don't want to do this. Like in my natural self, this is not what I want to do, and I'll tell you why. Because there's no other place I would rather be on Sunday morning than right here. It's the only church I've ever wanted to pastor. It's the only place I've ever wanted to preach. You my people. And Sundays are my best day of the week because I'm with the people. I mean, I, I love this church. I love you guys. I don't want to leave. Listen, when I go somewhere else on a Sunday and I'm not here, I have the worst Sunday. I'm just telling you, I'm like a duck out of water. I want to be here. But we need to do this because it's good for our church and it's good for their church. So this is what I'm asking you to do. Don't skip church over the next two weeks. 
All right, I, I know it's summertime and springtime and graduations and ball tournaments and vacations and people are in and out. I get all of that. I want you to go on vacation this summer and enjoy some family time. I'm simply saying I would rather you skip church when I'm here. And I really don't want you to skip church when I'm here. But if you're going to, do it when I'm here, not when those guys are here. I want to give these guys the warmest welcome at Abundant Life we possibly can. And our light doesn't shine quite as bright when you're not here. That's what you don't get when you watch live stream from a remote location. It's just not the same. And so I'm asking you to come and make these guys feel like we are one family. They're a part of our family. Don't treat them like guests treat them like family, because that's what we are. We are one family in God. We are one church in God, and together, we can all do together what none of us can possibly do apart. And so, you pray for me as I go preach at those churches, and you pray for these guys as they come and preach at this church, and then together, we're gonna do together what none of us could possibly do apart. And as we were at that breakfast meeting a few weeks ago, we began to imagine what would it be like for our churches to begin moving together and praying together as we pray together and share together and we show our city care together? And that's really the theme of the next three weeks. What if the church began praying for a move of God in our city in such a way that no one cares who got the credit as long as God gets the glory? That's what we're trying to do. What would it be like if we don't care who gets the credit or who has the biggest church in town? That's the problem in modern church life. All churches trying to outcool each other. I'm serious. What, what would happen if we began to pray in such a way that God would move in our city that we don't care who got the credit as long as God gets the glory? And you see, until we start to move in that way, we're not gonna reach a city. It's not enough that our church is growing and our church is healthy if we're losing our city and the church at large is declining. And so that's what we're praying for. Would you begin to pray in this kind of way? Do something right now or after the service. Text Love KC to 74574 to receive a daily prayer guide, all right? And this is what's gonna happen if you do this. You're gonna get a little daily prayer guide, a little devotion via text and kind of tell you how to pray that day. And that first text is gonna give you a link to blesseveryhome.com. Our goal is to have 100,000 people praying for our city, 100,000 people from over 50 or 60 churches all over the metro area of Kansas City, all praying for God to move, all praying for God to reach our city. That's what we're trying to do together. And I will promise when the people of God begin to pray and we begin to move in prayer, the Spirit of God begins to move when the people of God begin to pray. And that's what we're trying to do. That's what we're asking for. Now, Luke chapter 10, if you have your Bible, this is what Jesus said about this. As we pray for a harvest in our city, we pray that God would redeem our city and redeem our communities. Look at what Jesus said in Luke chapter 10 and verse one. Now, he's sending out the 70. He's already commissioned the 12. And now he's sending out 70 more. And he says this, for after these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also, and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Then he said to them, the harvest is truly great, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest, send out labors into the harvest. Now, I've always considered this very curious. You would think Jesus would say, well, pray for the harvest, but he doesn't say pray for the harvest. What he says is pray the Lord of the harvest, send labors into the harvest. 
You see, the harvest is truly great. We live at a time where people think, well, God's no longer moving and all has been lost and we live increasingly in a secular society and righteousness is retreating and wickedness is winning. What does it even matter? And I'm here to tell you today that God has never stopped moving. God is still on the march. Jesus Christ is not some victim struggling for existence in the universe. He is alive and he is reigning as King of kings and Lord of lords and wherever Jesus is, he is reaching, he is healing. He is setting people free. He is forgiving and cleansing. He is ultimately reconciling all that was lost because of sin to him. He's still on the move. He hasn't given up his right to rule. And I'm trying to tell you that when the people of God begin to pray, not merely for the harvest. He didn't say pray for the harvest. He said pray the Lord of the harvest send labors into the harvest. That's you and me. And the problem is not that there is no harvest. The problem is there's too few laborers. Because when you begin to pray in this way, all of a sudden you realize that you become the answer to God's prayer. God sent laborers in the harvest. And all of a sudden you become the answer to your own prayer. You see, when you pray in this way, your heart gets burdened for what burdens the heart of God. And that's how I began to pray years and years ago. You know why? Because my heart doesn't normally get burdened for what burdens the heart of God. My heart gets burdened for my family because that affects me personally. My heart gets burdened for my little sphere of friends because that affects me personally. My heart doesn't naturally get burdened for people I don't know and people I may never meet. My heart doesn't naturally get burdened for neighborhoods in our city that I don't live that doesn't affect me personally. You see, when you begin to pray in this way, all of a sudden you get burdened for what burdens the heart of God and your heart begins to break for what breaks the heart of God and God's heart is broken for our city. God's heart is broken for those that are far from him. God's heart is to reach our city. His heart is to redeem our communities, not just our little church family and my little sphere personally. You see, when you begin to pray this way, all of a sudden your heart begins to beat with the heartbeat of God and that's what we need. You see, when you pray, you begin to have the heart of God and you become the hands of God. When you begin to pray, God send out laborers into the harvest. The harvest is truly great, but the laborers are few. You begin to share God's heart and you become God's hands. And that's what God is looking for, somebody who will have the heart of God and somebody who will be the hands of God. You see, we are called the body of Christ for a reason. That is not just some allegory. God means that quite literally. The world can't see Jesus, but the world can see us. You see, we're the bride of Christ and we're called the body of Christ. He lives in us because now he wants to live through us. E.M. Bounds was his name. You can tell, I like to read the old time authors. Honestly, I do. A little more depth and breadth to a lot of what they would say. E.M. Bounds was a 19th century preacher. He wrote extensively on prayer. Look at what E.M. Bounds said. Another statement I read years ago that was very formative in the life of this young pastor. He would say this, men are God's method. The church is looking for better methods. God is looking for better men. Now, he wrote this in the late 1800s. This is so relevant, he could have wrote it two weeks ago because in church life, most of the time, when we get together as pastors or churches and we talk about reaching a city, we're gonna talk about models and methodology and ministry philosophy and programs and machinery. And it is so true what he says for all of our machinery, for all of our methods and models. Listen, what the world needs is not a new method. The world needs the Messiah 
It is not our programs that's gonna reach our city. It's the presence of God. It's the power of God. Now listen, we need models and methods, and we need to be willing to change our models and methods. When our methods no longer fit the mission, it's not time to change the mission, it's time to change the method. Now I'm telling you that because in church life, a lot of times, we like to hang on to our methods and hold loosely to the mission. And people will fight for this, but they won't fight for this. In a world that's changing very quickly as leaders, we are constantly gonna challenge the status quo. Is what we're doing working, and if not, what will work better? And sometimes, you know, churches are slow to change. Well, this is the only way we've ever done it. This is all we've ever known. And models that worked 30 years ago don't work the same way today. We gotta let them go. So we have a stated mission to see lives changed by Jesus. Does our method support the mission? If the method doesn't support the mission, it's time to let go of the method. Ultimately, find a new method that supports the mission. Now listen very carefully. We've got to have organization. We've got to have structures and systems. We've got to have methods and models and ministry philosophy. But ultimately, what Ian Bounds is saying, it is not our programs, but rather God's presence and power. It is not our models and methods but rather the Messiah that we need. We need Jesus. We need the presence of God. He says what the church needs today is not more machinery or better new organizations or more novel methods, but men who the Holy Spirit can use, men and women of prayer, men and women mighty in prayer. The Holy Spirit does not come on machinery, but on men. He does not anoint plans, but men and women, men and women of prayer. If you want the power of God upon your life, and I want the power of God upon my life, do you want the power of God upon your life? I need the power of God upon my life. I need the presence of God upon my life. There's only one way to get it, through prayer, spending time with the master, spending time with the Messiah, spending time praying for the filling of the Holy Spirit, for the power of God. Listen, when we are holy and humble and hungry, the Spirit of God is gonna fall upon our lives and everything's gonna change. The problem is we're not holy. Most of us are really, really worldly. We just don't know it. We've adjusted our eyes to see in the dark instead of walking in the bright white light of God. And as our world becomes darker and darker and the darkness descends, we just adjust our eyes to see in dingy grays instead of walking in the white, bright light of God. You see, we wonder why our lives doesn't change. It's because we don't pursue what is holy We've compromised with things that are worldly. And we come to church for an hour and 15 minutes on Sunday and we walk out unchanged. You know why? Because we're not serious about the presence of God. We think we can live without the power of God. We want just enough of Jesus so God won't be ticked. 
And we wonder why we live half-hearted Christian lives of mediocrity and apathy and complacency and the world is watching and the world isn't changed. We need lives that are holy. We need to be people that are truly people that are humble. You remember what God says? He resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. God began to break my heart years and years ago because I wasn't humble. I was man that was on a mission of competition and it was wickedness and I have prayed almost every day since God deliver me. See, humility is not something you can say, I never have to revisit, I'm no longer proud. No, pride is something you will grapple with and wrestle with every day of your life and if you don't wrestle with pride, it's gonna pin you to the mat. And the only way you wrestle with it is in prayer. God, forgive me. I live. I've learned to live in a spirit of repentance. I, I, I want to live in this state of repentance. I mean, my heart is so corrupt without Jesus. Apart from Jesus, I'm not holy. I'm not humble. I'm not hungry. I'm not hungry spiritually. You see, we don't see a move of God in our day because we're not a people that is holy and we're not a people of humility and we're not really that hungry. I mean, we fill our lives with the temporal trinkets of this world in such a way that we have no appetite left for God and we come to church once a week for an hour and 15 minutes and we're satisfied to leave with just a crumb of God's presence, just a crumb. When what we have access to is the bread of life, we say, God, just give me a crumb, and we're satisfied with just a crumb because we have filled our lives with the worldly things that don't matter and don't last forever. And I'm just telling you today, I've gotta have Jesus. We are toast without a move of God. And the only way we're gonna see a move of God is in a move of prayer of the people of God. Men of prayer, the Spirit does not come on machinery. Now listen, we need the machinery. What's the machinery of church? Well, you've gotta have your structures, your systems, your organization, or it's just chaos. We can't have chaos if we're gonna do something together. We gotta move in cooperation. We've gotta have those systems, and you've gotta have the administration. And, but listen, in the end, you can have all of that and still have nothing. We gotta have the presence of God. We've gotta have the power of God. I wanna give you three things very quickly. If you wanna be serious about making prayer part of your life and living in the presence of God daily and living with the power of God to see God move miraculously, first of all, I want you to set a prayer perimeter. What is a prayer perimeter? It's a space or a place that you've set aside for prayer. That's your place of prayer, your space of prayer. It's what Jesus talked about when he said these words in Matthew 6 and verse 6. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So where is your room? It can be anywhere. I'll tell you where it is for me. I drive 25 miles one way to church every day. I drive 25 miles the other way back to the house. It's a 25-minute commute. Guess what I do? My truck has become my prayer room. 
I can waste 25 minutes one way and 25 minutes the other way. I can waste 50 minutes of my day listening to all the bad news on 980 KMBZ. Or I can plug in my Abundant Life Current Worship Spotify and I can have a time of praise and prayer. And that's what I do. When I'm alone in my truck, I'm having a praise service. I'm having a prayer service and I'm praying as I go. You know, it, 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 it's, a, it's a space of prayer and I'm praying, God, for the power of God. God, that you would let me live in your presence today. Lord, that you would fill me today with your Holy Spirit. God, that you would use me in such a way that everybody I talk to, anybody I would touch today, would be touched by Christ in me, the hope of glory. God, today, I surrender all rights to my life. Satan, I renounce your right to my life today. And that truck has become my space. Now, here's the deal. It doesn't matter where it is. You get to pick whatever's right for you, whatever works for you. We all live super busy lives. So your commute to work may be the place. It may not be. I hear people say sometimes, well, I get up at 4 o'clock in the morning every day, and I spend an hour in prayer and praise. I think you're crazy. (laughs) I think God can hear me just as well at 7 in the morning. Okay, it doesn't count more if you torture yourself. <laughs> if it works for you, do that. I'm just saying, I'm going to stay in bed as long as I possibly can. Then I'm having my prayer time on the way here. It's 25 minutes each way. You get what I'm saying? Now, you do whatever you want to do. I'm not telling you how. I'm just telling you what works for me. All right, so you need to find a prayer room, a prayer closet. That space is where you pray. Now, declare your prayer prompters. You need to find prayer prompters. In other words, things that prompt you to pray, that remind you to pray in a really busy day. The Muslims have a five-time call to worship throughout the day. Five times a day, they have a call to prayer. Five times a day, it doesn't matter where, they will point themselves toward the Kaaba, this place of worship if you are a Muslim. And five times a day, they will consistently, persistently, faithfully pray to a dead God they cannot hear but we can't pray for five minutes to the true and living God and we wonder why God doesn't move in our lives and he doesn't move in our families he doesn't move in our churches now we don't have the call to prayer like in some faith but God calls us to pray. We need prompters. So what does that look like? Well, maybe every time you pull into work and you park your car at work, it prompts you to pray for your coworkers. How about every time you pull back into your neighborhood, into the subdivision, as you pull back into that subdivision, you pull back into the neighborhood, it prompts you to pray for your neighbors. How about every time you drive by a church, it prompts you to pray for your church. And it prompts you to pray for the church. See, those are prayer prompters, reminders a prayer, and after you find your prayer prompters, find a prayer partner. There's a reason Jesus sent out his disciples two by two. He sent them out in partner. Look at what it says. He says in Matthew 18, verse 19, again I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. You can pray solo and God will hear your prayer and there's power in your prayer. James 5 says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. But listen, when you put two people together, or three people together, or a whole bunch of people together, all with a unified cry to the living God, all praying for the same things before God. I'm gonna tell you something, heaven and earth begin to move. And the reason I'm saying this today 
is we are desperate for a move of God. Guys, I'm telling you, we have got to have a move of God. I pray, and I prayed over and over again. I've never lived yet to see it, but I pray to see the day I come here on a Sunday morning and the presence of God is so great in our church that before one song is ever sung or one word of a sermon is ever spoken, people are coming to faith in Christ. Sinners are repenting of their sin. They're finding cleansing within. Families are being restored. Hearts are being healed. You know why? Because the presence of God is so great here. I long to see that day. That's called revival. And we need revival. And there has never, ever been in all of history a move of God that has not been preceded by a prayer movement in God's people. Would you join me right here, right now, in prayer? Let's make this place right here, this platform, a prayer altar. And wherever you are, up on the terrace or right here, would you meet me right here and let's begin to pray for a move of God. Come quickly, would you? Just begin to pray. Jesus, would you move in me? Would you help my heart to be burdened for what burdens your heart? Would you help my heart to be broken for what breaks your heart? Lord, forgive me of my sin that I live with only one foot in. God, I want to be holy. I want to pursue what is holy. Help me to repent of my sin daily. God, make me humble. I need a work of the Spirit of God in my heart. Help me to walk in humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Lord, forgive me that I'm not hungry. I'm not hungry spiritually that I'm satisfied with just a crumb of your presence in my life. God, would you give our church a hunger for you as never before? Lord, would you give me a hunger that I haven't known in a long time? Lord, give us a desperation. God, I'm so desperate for you. I've got to have you. Lord, we've got to have you. Jesus, forgive us. I pray, forgive us of our desire for reputation. God, forgive us that we want to be seen among men.
Jesus, we wanna see a move of God in our city. We wanna see a move of God in our families. We believe that you change lives. Would you begin by changing ours? Would you help us to surrender all that we have for all that you are? Would you please move in this place? God, all the machinery of men, it is not enough. God, we need your presence. Jesus, be magnified, be enlarged in our lives. Be enlarged in our church. You alone deserve the glory. You are the resurrected Son of God. You are the resurrected Lamb of God. You poured out your life at Calvary to set us free from our every sin, our every stain, all of our shame, so that we can live as free men and women. Thank you, Jesus. And to you be the glory. Let's stand together. Let's worship the resurrected King together. Hallelujah to the King. He's worthy, isn't he? 
Praise the living God. Guys, I love you so much. I really do. I'm going to miss you for two weeks. I really will. But you come, all right? And uh, I know you're going to be blessed by these other men that are going to come preach to us. Have a blessed day, would you? Let's pray. Let's pray for a move of God. God bless you. God go with you.